friends. Welcome back to the New Blocks, episode 18. We're talking regulation today. The big R. It's uh, it's the talk of the town right now, Kevin, and I'm excited. Uh, we're going to try to be neutral here. We're going to talk about some positives, some negatives. We like regulation around here. What we don't like is bad regulation. So maybe we're going to talk about some things we'd like to see that we're hopeful for. Uh, been a lot of news about the Senate and this bill with infrastructure where they slipped in a little bit of crypto stuff there in the bottom, a little pork barrel. Uh, that's how we do politics here in the old America, United yeah, States. Is. Welcome. Yeah, Uncle Sam, man. He just likes to slip it in there. Thanks a lot. Yep. In and out. Um, just how <laughs> are you, bud? Sam. Welcome back. Doing well. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's good to be back. We, uh, this is a, is a one I had, uh, I don't know. I, I was excited about to some degree also like it's it's regulation so it's like feels a little boring even saying the word um but I, i'm here to, to jazz it up a bit i think <laughs> i think there's some uh, some lessons to be learned here uh it was fun having my more politically involved friend reach out uh, and chat with me about crypto uh mm-hmm. or maybe i i might have reached out to him and was like uh here goes the those crypto bros are screwing up the infrastructure bill again uh and oh, yeah Got to kind of, got to kind of force a, a crypto conversation uh, on him, whether he wanted it or not. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, this is important stuff. As maybe a, a preamble, this shouldn't be too surprising. If you've been around crypto for a while, uh, if you've believed that cryptocurrency and blockchain is here to stay, then you probably have deduced that regulation was coming at some point. Once we get to a certain scale, it's inevitable. The more money that's in it, the more people that are getting scammed, the more pressure there is on lawmakers to tackle this stuff come up with meaningful policies and uh you know most importantly figure out how to keep people safe and maximize their tax revenue because that's uh, part of the government's job after all almost by definition and it's all relevant because when we talk about um you know printing money and this idea of counterfeiting and all that like what is money uh, that is part of the government's job sort of by definition what makes it legal tender is that the government printed it and that we trust in the government to print and handle that currency. So the regulation of our fiat currency, you got to imagine some of it's going to try to extend to our digital bucks. Yep, exactly. And as we learned on August 10th, the uh, trillion dollar infrastructure bill passed the Senate, regardless of the fact that the wording and the verbiage in that bill would effectively cause uh, most crypto users of any capacity uh, to be doing illegal activity and, and could therefore be considered an accidental ban on all of DeFi, NFTs, crypto, uh, well, and the like. Yeah, I've, p- part of the issue is the sweeping sort of like blank check style nature of the verbiage, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that it, it kind that's of correct. It doesn't really pencil out what the limits are. It doesn't really say this is what the regulation is. It says, hey, now y'all have power to do whatever you want when it comes to regulation. And sure, there's a world where maybe they can get it right. Maybe um, the, the pressure will be there to try to steer them in the right direction. But I think just as easily, things could go awry and uh, we end up worse than where we started, right? Bl- blank checks yeah. are scary. Didn't work out so well for us in Iraq. It I did digress. work out well for the kid in that movie, The Blank Check. Oh, uh, I believe yes. is that what it was? I yeah, think he so. Ended up, he ended up writing one million on it, and he took it to the bank, and they cashed it. Classic, Damn. classic film for that kids. That kid's smart. He just wrote some <laughs> extra zeros in there. Jeez. Sure. 
Could have. Um, uh, but yeah, so the the problem came with the the word, the verbiage, uh, and the definition of uh, the word broker. So uh, the Wikipedia definition of broker is uh, a person or, or firm who arranges transactions between a buyer and a seller for a commission when a deal is executed. Um, and so essentially the way that uh, this was worded in the bill was that anyone who is in the business of regularly providing services, uh, uh, providing a service that effectuates transfers of digital assets is now considered a broker. So if you've uh, watched any of our episodes, you, that you may come to the realization that that essentially includes anyone that runs a blockchain node, uh, mines or validates a blockchain in any capacity, writes code for uh, any sort of DeFi protocols or decentralized exchanges, uh, provides liquidity in DeFi, really just like using any of this stuff, uh, mints, buys, or sells an NFT. So this is like, essentially the IRS wants you to fill out a 1099 every time that your Axies uh, breed <laughs> with your friend's Axie. And they want to know your friend's social security number. They want to know their uh, name and address. And given uh. the fact that you can't actually know any of this information when you're running a blockchain node or providing liquidity to a DeFi protocol or writing code for a DeFi protocol, uh, it's impossible to follow. So as as we were saying, uh, this is just kind of a blank check uh, for that, that could potentially be misconstrued and create a huge headache for the crypto industry. And the crypto industry kind of came out in full force and was like, this is not where we should be going. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, totally. This is uh, a little scary. And you're right. That That is so open-ended in general. Providing a service that effectuates transfers of digital assets. Um, yeah. I mean, like liquidity for a DeFi pool or protocol absolutely fits that, right? That's like by definition what you're doing. You're putting your tokens in there so that the protocol can do the thing that it wants to do. You're definitely effectuating. I, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. Ouchie. So, uh, wasn't, so I, yeah, I think, where are we at? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like as a whole, let's take a second and zoom out. Let's talk about just financial regulation as a whole. The goal of it is... Uh, it's a form of supervision that subjects financial institutions to certain requirements, restrictions, and guidelines aiming to maintain the stability and integrity of the financial system. So that is a good thing, all right? Like this is, we're talking about consumer protection. We're talking about ensuring that people don't lose their money because someone just walked away with it, ensuring that there are mechanisms to go after the person that walked away with it. Mm -hmm. um, and theoretically, this is good, right? Uh, so the way I wanted to break this episode up is talking about first systems that require trust. Um, so uh, pretty much like what we are familiar with in the existing financial system, um, and then kind of compare that to alternatives that are designed a bit differently. Okay. So first step, uh, concept of central banking, right? So anytime that we are going to decide uh, that we want to print new money, uh, or any time that we need to figure out, um, you know, how do, how do we prevent a run on the bank? We make sure that every bank has X amount on hand at any given time. Um, and then also, you know, we write laws that prevent uh, or that make it so that should any sort of like financial collapse occur, that regulators have the ability to go print new money, all of stuff like this. So these are these are this is like an example of sort of a trusted system where we have um, we have 
to put trust into third party humans that uh, those humans require uh, legal rules to incentivize the governance uh, of you know, making yes. sure that those people are doing the right thing that aren't hurting others. And it's done in a very manual type fashion, right? There's like a heavy yeah. support system that every bank has where if there are issues, anything that goes wrong, bad transactions, there's that centralized power to like, you know, verify your identity over the phone and escalate cases if your, you know, your credit card gets stolen or what, whatever, right? We've all experienced times where uh, that power has worked in our favor if you've ever had uh, any kind of security issue. Um, so there is sort of a, a plus side there, but that comes at a cost. It's pretty expensive. And um, I guess they, they don't always necessarily get it right. One of the other plus sides is generally insurance as well, like the FDIC. Um, that, that's the kind of stuff that says like, hey, this is, this is guaranteed. The government is, so, so, somebody's backing this. It's not like you're all in if the bank goes, goes under tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think a lot of times when we talk about regulation in the crypto world, um, we think about it from the lens of, um, I don't know, like, uh, we, we kind of like to poo-poo it, uh, or at least you hear a lot of people in the crypto world that like to poo-poo it. But like, in a sense, regulation isn't this like inherently flawed thing that's like coming over to just like screw up uh, and like ruin our lunch. Uh, I mean, there are reasons why we have the laws that we have. And, and typically, um, you know, in countries that don't have the sort of robust legal system that we have, that things don't generally work out as nicely. Yes, definitely. So, and, and to some degree, the banking system does work well to like an accuracy pers per like perspective. It, it's almost impressive how well it works, given how clunky and patched together the system is at large. You know, it's slow, yeah. but it's accurate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, another type of regulation that we need in centralized banking and just in general, right? Like uh, in commercial banking, think of your, your Wells Fargo's and your PNC's. Like mm -hmm. we need regulation to stop bankers from being able to commit fraud, to like laundering money um, and just have like some basic uh, <laughs> regulation that's in place to ensure that, again, the, the people that are holding all of the keys in the existing centralized system aren't able to sort of like have this uh, elevated privilege where they can kind of just go do whatever they want. Like we do actually need rules for those people because those people, uh, as the given the way that the existing financial system is built, we need these people that have more control over things. And so we, we need pretty basic stuff to make sure that those people aren't then using that control for for bad. Makes sense. Um, we've seen that even with the regulations, right? Like Wells Fargo specifically, uh, they got caught however many years ago now, what, five, eight years ago, like they were opening accounts for people and they didn't know they were charging all these hidden fees that they weren't disclosing. People were using like, I guess, anti-consumer tactics uh, in terms of sales over the phone to talk people into loans or credit cards or high interest things that they didn't need with sort of disingenuous type uh, presentation. And I think they paid like pretty big penalties for that. And obviously it's a huge hit on like the PR level, like the consumer facing side of your brand, you, you want your bank to be somewhere that you trust, right? You're trusting them with your money. Uh, that's a big betrayal on the consumer side. So even with the relatively strict regulations we have in place, you still see this stuff happening. Imagine what it was like before all that regulation slash what it would be like without it. 
um, it would be way worse. Not that our regulations are perfect now, but shit, dog, you need them. We need them. Yeah, right. I mean, there was a time before Ponzi schemes and we figured out what a Ponzi scheme was during the first time that it happened. Um, yeah. And yeah, so let's let's go a little closer to crypto world. We talk about uh, the difference between like a centralized and a decentralized exchange in a centralized exchange like Coinbase or, or Gemini uh, or Binance or really any of the bigger centralized exchanges. Um, you can just think of it like any other bank because they are holding all of your money. Um, and so like they need to be subject to a lot of the same existing banking laws to make sure that um, they actually have the money that they say they have to make sure that they, um, you know, aren't uh, subjecting their their users to like unnecessary risk. And you can really just think of uh, of Coinbase in particular. It's kind of like becoming the next J.P. Morgan in a sense, right? Like, uh, but it, they operate in that gray area, right? Like PayPal yeah. and some of these other services. It's the same thing where you might use it and leave thousands of dollars on there, and in your head you're like, "Oh, it's basically just a bank. PayPal's holding my money. I know I can cash it out at any time, but it's really convenient to use it there, so I'll just leave it on PayPal. Whatever. There's a trusted thing there, but." If your account gets suspended or flagged or whatever, they don't have to follow the rules that banks follow. It's not really yep. your money. It's just a private service that has terms that give you the illusion of like, yeah, the PayPal dollars equal to normal dollars. It's sort of like, a, dare I say, almost like a, a, an unregulated stable coin a little bit has some, <laughs> some parallels. Um, but like as someone who's been banned from PayPal for undisclosed reasons, they just say, sorry, you're banned. Not going to tell you why. Don't contact us again. It's over. Um, final case closed. No appeals. Uh, that's yeah. that's sort of frustrating when they say we're going to freeze fifty percent of your assets for one hundred and eighty days. You go why? They go because that's our policy, bitch. In case people want to like recharge or charge back because you got banned, so we can't trust you. So we think it's reasonable to hold fifty percent just to cover us in case people make claims for Oof. that. And. Again, there's there's no appeals, there's no nothing. That's just part of the terms of service you sign to use it. You know that big document we all just click through? Yeah, there's a lot of legal stuff in there that, dare I say, fucks you as a consumer. And it's fine because they generally have a good interface and it's accepted everywhere and the service works great until they decide to pull the plug. And then you see the dark side of centralization and you realize this is the illusion of banking and uh, your money's actually not as safe as you think it is. They don't have to give yeah. it back to you, I don't think. They choose to generally, but you know, still scary. Yeah. And speaking of the illusion of banking, uh, the final one in this group is USDC and UST, so Tether and uh, <laughs> Coinbase's the actual stable, coin. stable coins. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, similarly, right? Like, this is a situation where you have like all of this trust, where you have, you're just hoping that this company who is operating out of like a dozen countries more. Uh, that has bank accounts all over the world. That's sort of like playing regulatory arbitrage to a degree, and like figuring <laughs> out like what how to how to best um, like increase their their bottom line. And uh, you, you, I mean, that's when when you're holding on to a centralized stablecoin. That's that's what you're dealing with. Um, so when we talk about brokers again, like in, in the infrastructure bill, uh, I'm totally fine with the idea that like the Coinbase's of the world, they totally should uh, be required to fill out the 1099 that sort of, you know, any other bank you would have to fill out when, when you're getting your, um, you know, you got you to say who you are and, and 
centralized systems are going to have to play by centralized system rules. Totally makes sense. Yeah. That kind of leads us into the trustless world and and kind of like the new world of DeFi, the new world of uh, of like blockchain enabled stuff that kind of gets me excited um, because we kind of need to start thinking about these things a little differently, right? Like we have this whole framework for how we think about a broker in the traditional financial system, um, but those rules don't really map to the same way that things are built over here. So I like to think of it as like in sort of the trusted world, you you really need laws that like incentivize human third parties to act in the best interest of the 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 network or of the uh the like the users wh whoever it is that they're holding money for that they're working with if they're a broker like you need laws to govern those humans when it comes to systems that don't actually involve humans in the middle we need code to do that to ensure that the computers are sort of run in a way that uh, that can't involve like the computer's not going to run off with your money unless you program the ability for someone to run off with your money. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the blockchain kind of allows us to create new systems that don't require trust in third party intermediaries um, and instead put that trust into just mathematical rules, into code, uh, and then ensure that that code sort of governs computers uh, in a way that like is a, is a bit different from the mm -hmm. old world. Well, so this is, uh, I guess, kind of ironically where people make fun of that classic Ethereum saying code is law, mostly because of the original DAO that like, whoopsie. Yeah, code is law, yep. except for yep. when we don't and want we it don't. to be. Uh, to be. <laughs> you know, um, but this is sort of what I think that was intended to mean of like, hey, we can replace this human governance to enforce law with code that can be the law. And if we can get it right and all agree and it's running and operational and it's all good, basically Uniswap, um, it just becomes this public good. And now that code is the law and we don't have to deal with this subjective, you know, human enforcement of it. There's no human police that have to now execute this law. It's just done by code. I think that's what it's intended to mean, not that really topical interpretation of just, you know, this is immutable forever. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm yeah. grasping at straws here, but um, it, it's sort of a cool... It's sort of a cool thing to see. I was just having this conversation with somebody I, I met in person that was talking about um, how she doesn't like banks, and that's why she tries to use cash as much as possible because there's no fees or whatever, and it just goes straight to the person. You know, like cash tips are way better than credit card tips. So that all things equal, tries to use cash. I'm like, I, I agree with the framework. Just subbed out the cash for the crypto, and you got uh, we're there. Have I got a you know? financial system for you? Exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. But that was the thing I think. And you know, it, this is someone who doesn't know much about crypto at all. So you have to start at a really basic level. And what got them really interested in thinking was this idea of, huh, okay, using like a simple smart contract to replace a centralized exchange or a bank or whatever, huh? that could be cool. Then it's just people doing stuff with people and automation that enables that transaction. We don't need the middleman that's been ripping us off for all these years. Like, exactly. You understand, like, the, the key element to, like, that. that's it right there. That's what makes this shit yep. so fucking cool. I'm like, we're at this sushi restaurant and I'm literally doing this, like, freaking out. Yes. You don't understand yeah. how smart you are, you know? <laughs> um, 
yeah, so that, that, I'm glad that there was like some some trust there in because you know a lot of times people hear about this and they're just immediately super skeptical. So I'm glad that uh, yeah. you were able to get through. Totally. Um, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. So I, I think like the when we talk about we're going to define the term broker as you know everyone that's in Coinbase land and everyone that's in Uniswap land, you need to follow the same rule set. Well, let's look at the difference between Coinbase and Uniswap. Yeah. In Uniswap, there's no third parties that have access to the money on the exchange. There's no custodian in the center. In Coinbase, that's totally the case. In Uniswap, there's just users that connect with each other end to end and move their currency between other currencies. And at no point are they handing it to anyone else. It's just, I'm interacting with a smart contract. I put in this currency. I take out this currency. Uh, there's no none of the same sort of like custodial risk that exists there. Um, that's not the case in Coinbase. And, and finally, when you think about uh, smart contracts, you need to have a bit of nuance here because not all smart contracts are created equally. And smart contracts, uh, as they are written, can give ownership uh, to be able to change the smart contract. But in the case of Uniswap, uh, you can go look at the code yourself and see that there's no one that owns that code and therefore that code cannot be changed, mm -hmm. which means that there's no concept of a potential rug pull where suddenly, you know, the system all of a sudden works different and now someone can walk away with your money. No, it is like sending a probe out into space. No one in the world can change that. Not the Uniswap developers, not you or I. It's just there. It's an open public good now. And from now until the blockchain and the internet continues, there's going to be a smart contract that allows you to take one cryptocurrency and exchange it for another in a way that doesn't involve a third party custodian or any sort of inter intermediary. And that's why it's important that we are very careful when we talk about what the word broker it means, uh, because it means different things in different places. Yeah, no, totally. And um, as we'll talk about closer to our uh, lightning round, uh, with some of this regulation, there's a difference between stating a dream in terms of regulatory outcome and having a meaning meaningful vehicle to execute or um, enforce that regulation to get there. Yeah. Um, and that's where, um, when you're talking about code, it, there's there, there's not a company that you can go after. There's not a person. You know, I guess you can put pressure on the person that wrote the code and deployed it. But in terms of the blockchain, once it's out there. That doesn't change it being out there and people being able to use it. So, um, yeah, the strategy of enforcement, I think, is almost as important as the the intention of the policy in general, because um, that's part of what makes this blockchain stuff so new. I'll never forget a conversation I had with somebody who I regard as pretty smart who said, well, I don't trust blockchain because if China wanted to, they could just hack Bitcoin and destroy it and it could just be gone. And I'm like, believe me, dude, they are trying so hard to do that. They've been trying so hard to do that for they 10 years. like 20 times. If they could, <laughs> they would have because like it, they hate it. it. It is something that they can't, you can only control the endpoints. You can't actually just stop the chain completely or it's very, very hard to, I guess. Yeah. Um, so anyway. I mean, right. If regulators wanted to stop internet piracy, they, they would just do it, right? Like, ah, it's not not really that easy. It's actually a very complicated problem. Yeah. Uh, like we could kind of go through a million different examples in DeFi. I mean, another really quick one, like think about Aave lending borrowing protocol. 
if I want to take out a loan from Ave for $100, I have to put up at least $150 of collateral and that gets locked away. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay that loan back if I want my $150 back. Um, and yes, that's like, you know, that's not going to be the same use case of someone going down to a loan or going down to a local bank, small business, like go put up, you know, more, more, uh, like legal system trust collateral of like, okay, I can go chase this person down and I have the authority now to like, go get the money back in through the legal system. Um, yes, th these are very different use cases. Like in, in crypto, I, I imagine we will get to a place where we can start to kind of have these tie-ins between uh these legal systems maybe eventually mm -hmm. there, there will be like an oracle for credit score i wouldn't be surprised if we Dude. were to see something like that uh and yeah we could start to kind of like add more interesting layers on top of that but again we got to talk about like if, if you start making laws around taking out loans you need to recognize the fact that there are certain types of loans that are uh, like collateralized very differently than than in the existing financial system so yeah, I mean, I think it's one of these things that um, this isn't the first time that regulators have have misunderstood crypto. Um, more, most recently, I think it was last month or so, there was the Stable Act that didn't really make it that far, but it was like trying to regulate uh, stable coins. Um, and again, I, I think last episode, we talked a little bit about this idea of like, yeah, we should regulate centralized stable coins differently than decentralized stable coins. Well, the Stable Act was trying to like bundle them all together and say that like anything that uh, that uses the word stable, or even if like you pegged a coin to the cost of a cheeseburger, that because the cheeseburger is like is tied to US economic value, like your cheeseburger coin is a stable coin. Um, it was a, another sort of like far reaching, uh, attempt here to try to like wrestle down the crypto ecosystem in a way that like just kind of fundamentally misunderstands it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, that, yeah. yeah, I guess that, that gets back into what I was kind of ranting about before that of if you miss the mark that way, then it doesn't, you know, really matter that the music uh, torrenting example is, is always that perfect one. You know, they made an example out of what five people or they find them $10 million for some egregious amount of copyright infringement. And then they all went bankrupt. Yeah. And then that, that was it. Those people had, had yeah. their life lives ruined and everyone else just kept on downloading stuff as far as I've, I've been told. Um, so <laughs> a, governance is hard. Um, and there's like a lot of things yeah. that politicians have to keep up with. And I, I empathize with the, the struggle, but at the same time, I think, all the more important of, you know, like we have special committees, we have people in the ecosystem that are smart and can help educate. It is also a tough conundrum for the government of, hey, maybe there are a lot of good third parties out there that can advise, but who can give us information that isn't too biased? Like look at Blockstream, right? Giant, giant force in the Bitcoin space community, blockchain in general. I think from the government's perspective, that looks like a great candidate to do some consulting. Do we def want them as the heralds of crypto blockchain at large? Yeah. Do, do they align with us Ethereum group? So over, uh, boomers over here, whatever we are, uh, Zoomers, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. Us Ethereum Zooms. Yeah, I, dude, I, I don't know. Uh, and I don't mean to like take yeah. a stab at Blockstream necessarily. I just use it as an example of they really are a big force. And do they represent a neutral interest in blockchain? 
I pose that as a general. Does does anybody that have that has the credentials represent a neutral perspective on blockchain? Probably not. I mean, that's like a really rare thing. Everybody has a lens. Everybody has a project. Everyone's kind of invested in something, has a strong opinion. There isn't a, ironically, we don't have a consensus about our, our favorite consensus mechanism. <laughs> yeah, we're still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like our, our existing governance systems require politicians to essentially be a jack of all trades. And uh, it's similar to most people that I've tried to get interested in crypto, they don't have the time and like more so in their case, because they have to be interested in literally everything everywhere. Um, and like that, I think we're seeing how that doesn't scale long term. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think if, if you want to hear where things could go later to go check out the Dallas episode. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't blame them for for misunderstanding this field that really does require like genuine time and research to, to really wrap your head around uh, because we've really never had systems like this before. Like I I think that it's reasonable to try to like take the framework of how our existing system uses or works and then just like assume that crypto is probably the same thing but like you know now there's <laughs> doge doges on top of it uh but that's really not it right like it, this is sort of an entirely new field in, in a lot of ways um this solves a lot of really fundamental like game theoretical problems we talked a little bit about the prisoner's dilemma in the smart contracts episode and how like the implications that that has for for being able to solve that in a way that doesn't involve any sort of intermediary and yeah i mean the potential is massive for this and if if uh if we just kind of treat it as more of the same then uh the potential does not end up coming and, true well so. all, all that said though i think you're making a bull case for why we shouldn't snap to make bad regulations and why we need to get it right yep. so while i empathize with the struggle and the plight of keeping up with information we also need to recognize that we can make the situation worse just as easily as we can make it better so uh let, let's go yeah. for quality over quantity on this one uh let's jump into some lightning round though okay. i got a i got a curveball for you here kevin Sidewinder inbound. Why do some <laughs> crypto people claim that crypto can't be regulated? That's a great question. Uh, it can be regulated. <laughs> and I mean, it probably should be, right? Like it's like any other field. Uh, I, think I think countries need to figure out what laws make sense for their, for their people. Uh, but I, I think the reason why this sort of conversation happens a lot in crypto communities um, is because regulating crypto works similarly to regulating the internet. Um, it's like equally challenging. And mm -hmm. we're still in the, the early days part of it where, uh, you know, we're, we're making a lot of the same sort of like misunderstandings and mistakes um, that we sort of like we're, we're able to, for the most part, avoid, at least I think in the United States in like early days internet. Um, but, you know, I think... I think people, uh, I think like countries that will misunderstand crypto uh, will sort of treat it as a threat. Um, I, I think a lot of times I see this in, in conversation, people talk about how like, well, why, why would uh, the United States want to give up control of the financial system? That's like, I mean, that's like saying if at the very early days of the internet, like why, why do we want to give up control of information and just like, let it flow freely? Like, 
Uh, like this big is picture. Yeah. World of possibilities that like you and I can't even fathom because like, would you have really guessed about Uber back before the internet or, or zoom calls or any of this stuff? Like there's no way to really even imagine what this world could look like. So I I think crypto is kind of baked into the fabric of the internet uh, and to shut it down completely, you do have to essentially shut down the internet. So what, uh, the the arguments that we often hear is like, well, what if the United States uh, bans U.S. dollar stablecoins? Well, like, yeah, they, they're more than welcome to go for that. Um, it's not going to stop anyone from any of the other 194 other countries from using stablecoins. And so all they've effectively done is sort of lose control over this new emerging field where they could have a ton of say and, and a ton of like monetary benefit from it. I mean, uh, and yeah. just like, now, now the the stable coins are going to go out and exist in in different countries than the U.S. Um, but it's it becomes this sort of game theory situation where uh, the harder you try to crack down on crypto because you misunderstand it, the worse off you're probably going to be longer term. Well, haven't we learned by now that prohibition needs to be treated as this precious nectar? Like there are certain things as a society we can agree need to be completely prohibited, right? Murder, for example. Sure. All aligned. But um, yep. <laughs> it it gets more complicated when you talk about um, yeah s- stuff like this. I suppose that has larger implications than just one country, uh, and you end up just kind of getting left behind. Uh, and it doesn't really prevent it from happening, especially if it has a strong value proposition. If people want it, they're going to find a way around it. And as we're seeing with like marijuana being more more legalized and embraced in North America, Canada, many states now within the United States, it's just better. You can make a higher quality product that keeps your people and consumers safer, which lowers their healthcare costs, which directly benefits the state. Instead of it being illegal where the state has to pay more for enforcement, they can pay less for enforcement, reallocate that towards things that need more enforcement bandwidth, and then also generate a boatload of tax dollars by having it come through legally. So when you factor all of those things together, the final total of like, how much are we up again? It's like, dude, we're like in the billions. This is awesome. People love weed. Holy (laughs) shit. Um, and I think who knew, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think crypto is like in that similar kind of territory of like, if it's actually that cool and it has a value proposition and people are using it and there aren't many effective ways to ban it and it's not that harmful, you know, it's not like on like the murder level or like some hard drug that, you know, uh, you'd argue maybe some, some drugs should still be fairly prohibited in most cases. Um, yeah, it, it's a spectrum there for sure. So anywho, yeah, totally. whew. Yeah. So is crypto becoming a partisan issue, would you say? Yeah, good question. Uh, Kind of. Um, We're seeing it align, I guess, with libertarian values to some degree. And at least in America, even the libertarians are by definition supposed to be sort of like a 50-50 between the two sides. It's definitely more on the Republican side in the states. Um, Generally, like on the ballot, the libertarians will kind of register Republican when you have to pick uh, between the two parties, some states have really strict rules with that stuff. So, um, yeah, when we saw the the bill with infrastructure um, getting some dialogue about the crypto stuff, many of the senators that came up to talk about it were senators that I often don't particularly agree with. We're definitely on the the more right side of the aisle. So that is, I, I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah, I guess it, I, f- I feel 
squeamish when uh, Ted Cruz says something that I agree with. It, yeah, it's, it's exactly. So um, I, I guess it's not completely partisan, um, but you have to remember as well that crypto has different values across the different coins and tokens, right? So Bitcoin definitely yeah. aligns much more with this. It's gold. We're disrupting currency. Like this is the, the money of the new world kind of thing. And as we've talked about, Ethereum isn't really as preoccupied with disrupting money as much as creating this world good of like accessibility, the world computer. And Ethereum is just like the gas that fuels this world computer. So I, I think the Ethereum... Um, like approach and foundation and like kind of principle set is a little more like socialistic and a little more in line with, hey, let's create resources that people can use to better themselves. Um, it's a little, I wouldn't call it welfare, but it's like kind of adjacent to that sort of, um, I don't know, is that an unfair framing? I, I don't mean it to be. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we, a, we talked about universal basic income in the yeah, DAOs episode, that's right? True. Like that's a thing now in crypto and it's only in the Ethereum space. Yeah. I think I think uh, like the the libertarian leaning of crypto was definitely the case very early on, and especially in the in the Bitcoin community, that's still the case. I, I, from what I've seen personally, just from like crypto Twitter, uh, people that are really into Ethereum don't typically have the same thought process uh, in in a lot of ways as people in the the Bitcoin community. Um, and like, while the Bitcoin community is sort of like arguing about how, um, you know, how like any taxing is theft and and all this stuff, like the the crypt the, the Ethereum community is like, hey, regulators, I want to give you your your due tax money. I I I do. Just don't kill the industry in the process, so I can give yeah. it to you, and then I'll, I'm happy to, right? Yeah, so totally, yeah, I, I think it's the full spectrum. I, I think it's. Um, it, it, it does scare me that I think within politicians and uh, from what I've seen between, yeah, you know, Ted Cruz, uh, like supporting it and then um, Elizabeth Warren kind of hating on it. I worry that it's like has some early signs of dividing lines. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that we can kind of educate enough people to recognize that it doesn't need to have that because it really has the full subset of every political leaning in this large. It's like the Internet, right? I mean, it's the internet isn't for communists like it's just yeah <laughs> it's just the internet it's like every everyone uses it yeah i mean so, so some of you may have may or may not have seen on twitter but a week ago or two weeks ago i retweeted a, a clip of elizabeth warren being interviewed maybe i mentioned it on last week's podcast i can't remember um but her her sort of analogy to crypto is like early medicine when snake oil was being sold and look at how great we've regulated and fixed like medicine in the united states to like make us make some of the best drugs in the world that saves a lot of lives. So we need to do that to crypto to get rid of the snake oil and the scams to get to the good stuff. And it's like, that sort of almost sounds okay if you don't think about what she's saying at all. And then you realize, wait yeah. a second, big pharma in America is out of control. We don't want it to be anything like that. It's all <laughs> lobby groups. A lot of people don't have access to healthcare. Healthcare in America is pretty fucked, dude. Per capita, we pay way yeah. more than every other developed country. This is like the worst analogy you could have chosen out of the bunch. <laughs> so um, I don't know if it was in that clip or something else, but she, she had a, a quote here, Kevin, where she said, crypto puts the financial system at the whims of some shadowy, faceless group of super coders. How does that make you feel, bud? Are you a, like I was rewatching Mr. Robot, and I've never identified with Elliot more in my life after hearing that. Oh my god! I don't even I mean, write honestly, code, I, and I feel like a super I, coder. I feel flattered. It makes me feel like a, a hacker in a CSI episode. 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll have to push back on Elizabeth Warren here because um, what we were saying earlier, right? Like when you have a smart contract that doesn't have an owner, doesn't matter what shadowy supercoder wrote it, that supercoder does not have any more control over the execution of that than it's, you or I. He like deploys it. And then once it's deployed, it's like a bird that flies away. And you're like, dude, that pigeon just, you got to get that pigeon back. You're fucked if you don't <laughs> get the pigeon. And you're the coat, you wrote it. You're just like, well, what do you, I don't, it's gone, dude. I don't know where you want. I don't speak yeah. pigeon. I got no homing beacon. And uh, that's <laughs> a weird analogy, but it's, you know, it, it's not like, I think people like Elizabeth Warren are thinking of software development from the 90s, you know, when it was all centralized, like office space style, and you're sitting in a cubicle, and that software is like owned by this company, and the software only works if it's like regularly updated, and they didn't have like live (laughs) internet updates, so it's this clunky, shitty, crappy software that you need, but you got to buy the new version every year, so it feels like, well... The people are what make the software. It doesn't just run autonomously. And that's, I think, part of the knowledge gap of like, nah, dog, this new shit does just run autonomously. The blockchain, as um, my boss likes to say at Axie Infinity, minting something on the blockchain is like minting part of your soul onto the internet. It's fucking there forever, man. Like, you got to (laughs) think twice about like the NFTs that you're minting in your name because everyone forever will like, if you mint poop coin as a joke, you can't take that back, dude. The blockchain doesn't forget, and the blockchain doesn't lie. So, um, yeah, just you got to think twice about that. I and I think that's like yeah. a dramatic but actually true framing. And um, I don't think uh, E Dubs here necessarily thinks about it that way. Yeah, and I think a lot of the 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 concern, the like shadowy, uh, like faceless parts of this, is this like again sort of misunderstanding of like, well, if we don't know who everyone is that you're interacting with at all times. Like what if people try to hide taxes to your point, this is an immutable ledger that will exist until the internet burns out because humanity didn't figure out how to deal with global warming. Like it's here. So if you want to commit tax fraud, like be my guest. Well, what about the uh, mixers though? They're like anonymizers but, where you send coins and get the, the anonymous right. coins out. So, yeah, I mean, like there, there's, there's nuance to this, right? Because if you send it through a mixer, you're sending it over to another address, right? And if at any point from now until forever, uh, you are able to be traced back to that new address, uh, I mean, we just saw this recently with um, the most recent hack that occurs, that like gigantic hack. Um, and the poly one, the poly they, they were able to, yeah, exactly. They were able to like trace down the IP of the user, uh, and, and essentially get them to just like give it back because within hours, like they knew who this person was. So that's not to say that like right now today, the government just like knows who owns every single address in Ethereum, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go ahead and put my money on the side of like analytics companies will continue to progress in their pursuit of being able to like identify people. And uh, like, yes, I'm definitely a proponent of privacy in crypto. Like it's, it's also equally important. Um, I think it's a little bizarre when I interact with stuff, knowing that like people can just go look at my entire history. Um, But I think to say that like uh, just because you're, you have money in crypto uh, and, and you're like moving it around in, in different areas, uh, that you'll just be able to kind of like get away scot-free forever. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of assume that like if at any point 
the government or any companies that work with the government is able to sort of identify that like, okay, we trace this, like th there's also been, um, I, I think it was Monero or, or one of these other sort of like mixer heavy cryptos where um, there was concerns that like uh, hack, uh, like security firms were able to sort of like uh, degrade the the effectiveness of the mixer. It might not have been a, that one in particular, but um, I, I think it's one of these things that like as technology continues and evolve and we come up with like, you know, quantum computing and all this stuff, like we're going to be able to go back and probably like break a lot of the stuff that was like keeping things private earlier. So for me personally, like I, I just go through, use like coin tracker. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on taxes when we get to tax time. True. Um, just, just go through, you, you plug in your addresses, make sure that you're paying your, your fair share. And then, um, I don't have to worry about it in the future. Like it, it's, uh, it's not, it's not my goal to, to go and try and hide stuff under the rug. Right. Yeah. Final question. What can I do to, <laughs> with what, uh, For to, help, to help, uh, the, the crypto community and to help my legislators, uh understand this a bit more uh, and maybe like you know not destroy the crypto industry uh in the process of of creating new legislation totally yeah I, this is one thing where um it feels oftentimes like when people say call your local representative that that doesn't really do anything um and individually um it probably feels like it doesn't but it does in aggregate and it can definitely turn uh, politicians onto issues that they might not have thought of. A lot of times with these things, I'm sure some of them thought, yeah, we'll just slip this thing in. No one's going to care about it. They wake up the next day to a thousand phone calls of people saying, why are you fucking my crypto shit? What are you doing? Uh, they have to pay attention to it. They have to at least think about it, investigate, learn more. So it it can have a big effect. And the louder the voices, the, the more the volume, the better. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the first starting point, you know, think it was a think globally act locally, I think is maybe the uh, appropriate maxim here. Um, I guess there are some donations that you or uh, organizations you can donate to. Uh, I'm personally not keen on giving money to, to things that aren't really direct right into the pocket of wherever I want it to go. But if you want to show for these donation folks, that's, that's on you, Kevin. Uh, sure, definitely. <laughs> um, so well, so the couple that I've followed, actually the one that I followed that I, I, I've heard enough from the the two guys that are involved in it to to kind of trust them and know that they are actually doing some pretty good work. Um, the Blockchain Association, um, that's one that uh, the Bankless podcast just did an episode with Jake Shervinsky uh, like a couple of days ago about regulation. And like he's down on Capitol Hill every day and that and basically just educating uh um, regulators on the stuff and like they it, i think they consist or they subsist entirely off of donations so like that that is a, an exception to the rule i i definitely get the same sort of pessimism especially like you start thinking about uh th these like larger more established like crufty old uh like donation sinkholes that like actually nothing ends up going to the final mm -hmm. <laughs> the final thing uh that's that doesn't seem to be the case with the blockchain association also that's i know good. coin center is another one that's been around for a little while uh, i think they're a little more focused on educating about the bitcoin side of things yeah um but yeah those are just a couple yeah i don't mean it as a slight um it's i i'm jaded i have trust issues i've 
I've sure. worked in. That's what know, we're man. we're in this industry for, right? I get it. Yes, exactly. It's all trust at the end of the day. Um, yes, that's why I'm interested in trustless mechanisms. Um, and it, it isn't a yeah. final question, but I guess one thing that somebody asked me the other day is like, all right, well, you can say you you don't like bad regulation. Cool, cool, hot take, bro. Um, what do you actually <laughs> want to see? What, what what is the the regulation that you think would work well? Um, and my answer to that, you can you can go second, Kevin. Um, I want to see simplicity, and I think what we really need to focus on are exit points. Um, I think right now, the, if you look at the current, there is on the IRS website like a a set of directions for cryptocurrency. It's like forty questions, like FAQ style. What do I do if you know if I turn one cryptocurrency into another? This is what I do. So it's all these different use cases. Um, but it's not a very elegant solution, as you would say in computer science. It's a lot of very direct, if this, then this, if this, then this, if this, then this. And that's like really cool for those very specific 40 use cases. But there are some things that are a little bit unclear. Um, like, for example, in the case of Axie, when you have an NFT that breeds with another NFT, and then I have this new baby NFT. How do I value that new baby NFT? Is it just zero? Is it at market value when it's bred? Um, there, there's all sorts of like, do I get to write off my SLP that gets burned um, as like an expense to breed axes? It, do I expense that? Is that like just do I pay taxes on SLP gains or can I like that stuff starts yeah. to get a little bit complicated? And obviously, there isn't like a specific tax code just for Axie. That's hyper specific, but I use that as an example to say trying to approach every single use case and focus on this like nickel and dime approach, I would say, is I think a fool's errand and just going to set you up for incentivizing people to try to, to dodge reporting because it's just complicated and inconvenient. And it makes it harder for the IRS to police because it's not elegant and not and, and like just very complicated. Um, so I like the idea of like, Flat taxes are cool. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a flat tax. But when I turn my gains back into fiat currency, that's really when I feel like I'm withdrawing and I'm taking the tax hit. Get rid of this. Like I turned Ethereum into DAI and then I turned that DAI into this shit coin and then I put it into a liquidity pool. And then after I pulled it out of the liquidity pool, I had the impermanent loss. So like, what are those coins? Did I buy those? Are those just like gains? Like, Fuck all that. Who cares about figuring out that nuance? Just let it happen. And then whatever my net profit is at the end, when I go, wow, I made five grand off of this crazy liquidity mining thing with market gains and all that, charge me the tax hit when I turn that five grand back into fiat through Coinbase to cash out. That's the easiest thing to track. It makes the most sense for me as a consumer. Um, and it makes my reporting so much easier. I don't have to worry about this complicated nuance stuff um, that is just... It's hard. You know, we can do transactions so much more quickly than you can on paper, like back in the day when a lot of these like old school regulations were written. We, we got to update it a little bit. We got to get away from the granular and focus on the macro. Um, so sorry. That's my little rant yeah. there, Kevin. Uh, if regulator Zayori, yeah. that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think off the bat, like one of the things that regulators are then going to be worried about is like if they went for that sort of um, like, I think the idea of, of regulating the centralized bits, it, you have to think of it from that perspective. Like that makes total sense. Um, the like taxing it or waiting until they turn it back into fiat to tax it. Um, 
the the concern there would be like, so what happens when DeFi continues and like we don't necessarily need to bring it back to fiat? Well, so um, we can so- we can make more regulations then, right? I'm not saying this is where the regulations have to stop. Maybe it's like a stepping sure. stone thing, right? Like we don't have to future proof it all in one bill. Let's let's get yeah, something quick. Totally. Like, and time is going by quickly, right? Crypto time moves fast. So, from yeah. the government's perspective, we want to. I think simple, fast, elegant should be the target. So, like, if totally. the exit faucets are a step in the right direction, now, boom. Okay, let's get that. Let's get that into print. And now we know with this, it's like a ticking time bomb. And DeFi is eventually going to have debit cards and these exit points that will not be like easily trackable, taxable events. Well. We got some time to start planning, baby. Let's figure out some rules. You know, let's get ahead of the curve a little Probably. bit. I know I'm being way too optimistic for government, but I think to me that's like the only approach. So, so I don't, I don't mean to be a dick and jump all over yeah, your no. counter because I no, think, think good, you make a good. good point. But yeah, I mean, well, let's keep the regulation going. I just want stepping stones and let's valve approach it. Right? Let's beta test this bitch. Constant iterations. You know. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's in my response to this question kind of falls in a similar line of simplicity and like clarity. I think um, a lot of people, we were talking about this uh, before the episode, I think especially like institutional investors that just like 100%, they want to follow everything by the books because they are working with enough money that if they didn't, that would be like detrimental to uh, like millions of dollars of other people's money. So like there are people that really do want uh, a crypto ETF because that gives institutional money a place to go sit in crypto that doesn't really exist. Yeah. Um, And so I I think another example of, of something like this, I uh, met a woman at a blockchain convention who was doing some sort of, um, like weed supply chain blockchain thing. I, I don't remember the specifics, but I was reading an article a couple of years later uh, and the name sounded familiar. And it turned out that woman got sued by the SEC for millions of dollars uh, for listing an unregistered security. And this was in the middle of the wow. ICO boom. So it was another situation kind of like early internet piracy where they made an example out of a few people uh, and that mm-hmm. kind of like scared people away up until really last summer where we start to see DeFi summer um, and we're kind of back in the swing of things, right? Yeah. Like people are listing protocol tokens every day. And like, I think there needs to be some very clear differentiation between like, so that the next person knows exactly what this particular woman did wrong versus, you know, a Uniswap, like a uni token that uh, like maybe in the eyes of the legal system, like they're doing something right. So mm-hmm. like, it should be very clear uh, to anyone that wants to go issue a new ERC-20 or a new NFT uh, or any any sort of like new crypto um, that they are not going to be just absolutely obliterated by the law like a few years later when mm-hmm. uh, regulators kind of like feel like it, right? Yeah. So I think similarly, just, just having some sort of like really basic rules that we can all kind of agree on. Um, and I, I think, you know, th- this gets into some really scary territory because then you start talking about like, OK, so what's a good coin versus a bad coin? Like, is Bitcoin OK, but Dogecoin isn't like that's not what I'm asking for. I, I don't think that's necessarily possible yeah. either. But sort of like, you know, rules around centralization, rules around trust, rules around like when when someone has the ownership to be able to update a smart contract, maybe they have to play by certain rules. But maybe if once they've burned that owner uh, token, then it's like a different set of rules. Like I- I'm open to more conversations like that. Yeah. So 
No, totally. Hopefully, uh, we'll get there. And I know right. this was a, a long closer, but one final note of relevant news. Today, it was announced that OnlyFans will no longer allow super sexually explicit content on their platform. And I think that has to do yep. with the hyper-regulation and unfair treatment of sex workers as it relates to access to financial instruments. You cannot use PayPal if you're selling nudie porn videos of yourself. PayPal and Pornhub do not scissor me timbers and connect. So um, <laughs> that is that is like a form of, uh, or a situation where censorship-resistant currency can actually help people that are being unfairly treated by our society. I, maybe that's a hot take, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous that people, for, like oftentimes sort of forced into that industry by necessity of financial needs, also have to face this extra barrier of not being able to like, get access to money. They have, they're forced to use services that take like 10% commission fees or something instead of the 3% the PayPal takes. Um, this is egregious. Yeah. And this is where like, we need to be careful that sometimes regulations can have a dark side. And um, yeah, banks can legally do that, even though it's discriminatory. So um, yep. yeah, go I mean, crypto, I think if, Kevin. If, if early internet and, and like Blu-ray and like all these other sort of like technological breakthroughs have taught me anything, um, it's that, you know, new technology is probably going to be helpful in this area. And I think we kind of already have an idea of, of how that's going to work out in, in crypto's favor yeah. to be able to help people that, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, I, I think it's, it's just this, uh, this like group of people that we kick to the curb, um, time and time again that, that really don't deserve it. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely sad to see. Um, and also not surprising when we think about all of the uh like centralized uh, that's the saddest part i wasn't even that surprised exists. that's yep, that's agreed. really the, the worst part of it so um 100%. anyway folks thank you so much for joining us uh, remember not financial advice education educational not legal purposes either as well not legal <laughs> advice but um yeah you know do your research pay your taxes join us on the next episode the new blocks getting closer to just being a new show where we'll talk about more timely stuff uh thank you so much for joining us so far shout out to all of our listeners on youtube and audio only alike we'll catch you on the next one peace